This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. All right, welcome to the show. This is Brent, your host of the LJS podcast. And on today's episode 19, we're actually continuing our conversation from last week with internationally renowned jazz guitarist Larry Kuntz. Larry joined us all the way from Los Angeles, California to talk about his career, to talk about jazz, to talk about music, and a host of other things. But before we get started, just want to say that all the music on today's show is by our guest, Larry Kuntz. It's from his latest album, Conversations. That's a duo recording with pianist David Reutstein. So if you like this music, you want to check it out a little further, head on over to iTunes or Amazon.com. You can purchase that album there. And remember that if you get value at today's podcast, consider adding value back. This podcast, it's 100% Uh, funded and and produced by listeners like you. So if you do get some value and you're listening on the website, you can click the support button below. And if you're not on the website, you can go to learnjazzstandards.com slash support. We also have a lot of really cool rewards for donating on a monthly or annual basis. So be sure to check that out there. Okay, and I just want to thank my good friend Peter Ruby, who actually conducted uh, this interview with Larry Kuntz. So I just want to say thanks to Peter. He's a guitarist and he's a professional writer. He actually is a guest blogger for Learn Jazz Standards. So if you want to check out one of his latest pieces, go to learnjazzstandards.com and search for Does Talent Matter? It's a great piece. We'll also have that in the show notes below if you're on the website. All right. Now, if you haven't listened to part one of this interview, I highly encourage you to go back and do so. But without further ado, let's go ahead and continue where we left off with Peter and Larry. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a terrific guitar player, um, just sort of generically about how you approach playing. You, you had this very interesting idea of a pie chart, which we can talk about in a second. But one of the things he said was, well, I couldn't think about that while I'm playing. It's just instinctual for me. And I thought, well, you know, we talked about the fact that it was, um, you know, there's one thing to kind of analyze it. And there's another thing to kind of actually play on the gig. And obviously, you're not thinking analytically when you're right. playing in a setting but how do you go about balancing thinking about what you're doing um in a practice way to making it instinctual when you're actually playing well i you know uh, i i think uh there's a little bit of a caveat here in that when i'm playing it's not that uh thought process processes aren't happening because there's you know 
there are multiple levels of consciousness. So, you know, you can think you can think of a specific um, set of pitches or some construct, a scale or whatever, um, and you can at the same time say, while I'm holding on to this notion that there's this construct, um, I'm playing something that's expressive. So. I want the deepest parts of myself, the parts that feel the most connected with this, to sort of take precedence. So while I'm using this device, um, I'm fashioning it or or emphasizing uh, my sound. I'm emphasizing the space between notes. I'm emphasizing um, the way I'm shaping the sound. Um, much in a way that, you know, a painter would, you know, with a brush stroke on a canvas say, you know, I want this glob to be a little thicker here. There's a texture here. It's not just the technique, it's the sensual nature of it all. Um, so that's the way I practice, basically. If I'm working with a specific um, notion, whatever it is, whatever technical aspect of playing, whether it's applying a scale, looking into a specific... Um, way of using passing tones, uh, looking into a way of organizing wider intervals, whatever it is, I'm, I'm also thinking about um, those deeper parts of playing that uh, have to do with feeling and, and um, expression. Those are always in play for me. For me, if those aren't those things aren't in play, then I don't feel connected to my instrument. Uh, can, um, would you talk a little bit about what you listened to as you matured as a player that that shaped who you are? I, I you know I remember hearing uh, I, I don't know whether I've sent them to you, but there's some tapes out there of, of you and Warren Marsh playing together in a quartet sit, sitting in various places in California, for example. Yeah. And you know, there's there are definitely aspects of other players that seem to have sort of been in your play sure. at that point. As it's true of all of, of them, you know, George Benson, uh, I, I get a little Kenny Burrell, I guess, um, Jim Hall. But you know, obviously, as you evolved as a player, you found your own musical personality. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that musical personality has has evolved. That's a that's a great question, Peter. Um, you know, when I hear recordings from that period when I was playing with Warren, I guess uh, Warren passed away in 87, and I think I played with him for the last year of his life, basically, so 86 to 87. Um, I hear a guitarist that sounds to, to my ear like Joe Pass. Uh, and, yeah, it's a very close connection um, to Joe. Um, and, and of yeah, course, my, my first, my first major influence, you know, that, that record, he got a four jam. Oh, yeah. was, and I was like, I was like 15 or 16 yeah. and I got the record, brought it home. And I spent all afternoon yeah. just listening over and over again to that one. record. That's interesting, Peter, because that one record was one of my big first influences too. Um, yeah, I, there was something about, uh, first of all, Joe was a virtuoso and, and, you know, I just loved his time center, the way he articulated things. And, um, so that was a huge influence. But, but at the same time, the, I, I didn't find myself uh, being satisfied just with playing music from the American songbook. I, I, 
I, I liked a lot of the music of ECM um, and uh, found myself being attracted to players that sort of worked outside the mold of being mainstream jazz players. And, um, and I think those sounds sort of um, became part of, of, of um, Bicart became a part of how I operated. So classical music was in there. Um, and when I think of players like um, Keith Jarrett, uh, he seems to reflect that that aesthetic. You know, he comes from, he's definitely a classically trained pianist who can improvise and sort of finds these ways to sort of bridge the gap between these two things. And I've also played with a lot of bands that have done that with Billy Childs, who is definitely coming from sort of a 20th century uh, classical mold as a composer and incorporating improvisation, um, playing with players like... Uh, I mentioned before Luciana Souza and Tierney Sutton, who sort of comes from a classical sort of um, approach and bridging these things. I think um, also playing with a pianist named Atmar Ruiz, who's an incredible um, pianist from Venezuela, who has this rhythmic, um, uh, he's basically just a rhythmic genius. It's incredible what he does. I, I, I still have a, very small understanding of how he's able to to um, to uh, pull off some of the stuff that he does, but working with all these eclectic musicians sort of uh, affords you the opportunity to look at the music from different perspectives. And uh, I see other players that are sort of just interested in straight ahead jazz, and and that is their path. But it, that to me is not interesting, and. Um, uh, you know, I, I definitely f I have a, a curiosity about music that's, that falls outside the borders of just the American songbook. What's interesting is that you know what you're describing and have described is this would lead one who hasn't heard you play yet to think of you as a somewhat esoteric player but that's far from the truth I mean you really dig in you have a strong solid blues background I mean you and I've talked a little bit about the fact that what's always attracted me to you as, as, a, as a teacher that at least somebody that that you know I get to talk to occasionally about music that straightens my ass out is that you have this really interesting balance between, you know, this sort of slightly esoteric thinking about what you're doing, but, you know, this Wes Montgomery blues-based yeah. playing, you know, uh, hard swinging, yeah. you know, it, it, yeah. which you haven't talked about very much, but is clearly kind of the, 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 the basement of everything. No, you're so, you, 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 you sort of nail it. Peter, I, that's a very strong aspect of where I come from, and there's, you know, there's something about the infectious feeling of, of uh, swinging and connecting with time that I feel is is um, I don't feel it was always strong. I feel like I've really had to um, uh, focus a lot of my energy and practice 
to solidifying that. But there's it's there's something that about connecting deeply with time and and essentially when you're can when you're when you're when you're making that your emphasis and you're with players of like mind you're sort of unified in that way and it becomes um it becomes something that connects you to to these other players it's something that's it's kind of fascinating it, it, to me it's it's like uh, quantum physics it's invisible it's like um you know that that the atoms have all these um um, these little parts that are connected by these alternating masses of energy, and I think times like that. It's fascinating in that way, and that it's it it is invisible yet it's tangible, you know, and you can connect with it. And that to me is the magical aspect of music. So there there's something about time feel that um, I feel is elemental. It's got to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, could with sort of get to that topic that I've mentioned earlier, which is something that you and I've talked a lot about, which is you know, what you understand by flow and how you practice it and what it, it sort of, how, how it, it shapes one's playing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting when I talked about um, an earlier version of myself that was interested in, along with my peers, sort of, working um, or fighting, I would say, <laughs> fighting the metronome and feeling that technique was about um, some mechanistic approach in which you could find through pure mechanics this way of, of um, being able to perform a passage and being able to sort of increase the metronomic tempo and, 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 and progressively being able to play faster and, and more cleanly. And um, that model of, of working in that me- mechanistic way uh, did not work for me, ultimately. And, and it, was, it, was, um, uh, it was during this period of, of my practice in which I sort of... Um, ratcheted it up ratcheted up the, the amount of time that I was spending um, practicing in this way and sort of finding myself getting further and further away from really truly feeling connected to the guitar and to music and uh, the byproducts of that period were a lot of anger and a lot of frustration a lot of the um, that time was sort of um, characterized by this feeling of, of disconnection. Yeah. And, and I essentially sat down the guitar and did not want to play it because I was so frustrated by my approach and, and its inability to yield results. Um, I knew there was something wrong. And, and, and where I would internally, where I was coming from at that time, I realized that if I didn't change something or if I didn't find a better way of operating, that I couldn't do this because there was just too much pain involved. Um, uh, I was, you know, I was going through too much self-hatred, too much uh, self, the bad kind of self-criticism. 
Um, and uh, it was becoming increasing, increasingly difficult to live with myself and, my, um, and the inner life that existed in my psyche. So I sat down the guitar and sort of lit some of the um, frustration and anger that, that accumulated on a daily basis when I picked up the guitar subside. And then one day I became interested in playing again. I just saw the guitar on the stand. I think this was two months down the line. You know, and I, and I thought, oh, God, that would be kind of interesting to, uh, to go over there and see what happens. Um, and, and, and I was fortified uh, because, you know, a lot of that um, angst and anxiety that I was feeling had subsided. And I picked up the guitar, and I remember I played an F scale. I played because there's something about that lowest fingered note, the F, that was really attractive to me. And I played it out of time, and and the emphasis was was to create a beautiful sound like those cellists that I described in my earlier experience playing with orchestras. Um, and there was also this sort of connection to when I picked up the guitar when I was six, when I didn't know what I was doing, and I strummed the the strum the strings and tactily felt what it, it was to feel flesh against the string. And there was some of that, some of that, um, that, um, I guess you could say some of that energy <laughs> involved in, in playing the guitar. Um, and it was sort of an innocent energy in that way. Not so laden with stuff that I had accumulated that was self, self-created. Um, and um, I played for about five minutes and was kind of astonished at how much I enjoyed it and how connected I felt. And I didn't, there was no reinventing the wheel. It was just playing an F major scale. I remember through the, through the first zone, um, that was uh, a system that was created by this guitarist that I had studied with at USC, Duke Miller, that I mentioned earlier. He had the zone system which consisted of a five fret expanse. And, and I played that F major scale in that zone, and it was so satisfying. And from that time on, um, the metronome sort of went back in the drawer. The notion of playing something and then attempting to play something quicker um, also went into the drawer. All that stuff sort of went by the wayside as I became more interested in producing a sound on the instrument that felt to me like I was sort of singing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and since that time, that's been my emphasis and it's increased, you know, at that time it increased gradually. The next day I think I picked it up and played it for 10 minutes. And now, uh, honestly, if I have uh, four hours in the, in the course of a day, for me, that's, that's a, a great joy to pick up the instrument because there's something about um, feeling that connection with something that's separate from yourself and sort of finding that, that little window of opportunity to sort of, uh, to, to connect with it and become one with it. There's something about that practice that to me is very attractive.
thing I, I came across the other day, uh, a friend of mine uh, did an interview with Peter Bernstein, um, and who I know you've recorded one track with, so you guys actually know each other and have met. And it's, interesting it's a funny story about that track too, but later, I'll tell you later. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> but one of the things that Peter talked about was um, he said, music, jazz is strong personalities working together. And I thought that was a very interesting description of what happens when you sort of sit down and play. That really um, is fascinating. Ah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because um, I, I totally understand what Peter's talking about. and But the, those strong personalities can be reflected in different ways. Without mentioning specific people, I've played with, you know, some of the greatest technicians on the planet who, who are... And, and not just technicians who understand music and the, and the building blocks of music and had the, the most unsatisfying experiences playing with these people, strong personalities, with great time, with the ability to sort of technically be able to pull off anything that they internally will themselves to do. And yet I have ended up having the, some of the worst musical experiences with these people. And these people are, you could say on one level, and, you know, again, without naming names, some of them are, you know, geniuses on one level. They're able to sort of, um, at will, conjure stuff that, from the perspective of, of what I'm hearing come out, um, um, the way it's coming out, um, I don't understand how they're able to conjure these these musical um, moments. So, um, and and on the other hand, you know, there are strong personalities who um, strong. It's you know, words are really tricky. Strong personalities, to me, it's sort of in a way, it, it connotates that someone is egotistical. You know, and it's all about. Yeah, I'm not sure that Peter meant that necessarily. Peter did, no. My, 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 my sense is he was talking about somebody that's just, like you in a way, you know, so steeped in playing. Right. Um, and and the, 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 this is a weird way of putting it, but the culture of playing. Right. That, you know, you're beyond the kind of level that most, certainly in most people listening to this are going to be at any one stage. Gotcha. Um, you know, so it's like, well, it's who is this musical person? I mean, sort of go back a little bit to that pie chart idea you had, where you you broke broke playing down into you know there's the chord tones and the harmony, which is one third, right. and then there's where you sit on the beat, which is basically your musical personality, and then there's the use of space, right. and those three things together, you know, one of which is overemphasized because it's kind of easier to, to focus. Right. On. But it's it's that totality that kind of creates. You know how you swing, how you yeah. sit, how you, know, how you play with other people, and I think my sense is he was talking. About no, that. Uh, I think you're right, Peter. Especially since you know I know where Peter comes from. Peter's one of my favorite guitarists on the planet. Uh, you know, he's he's just a beautiful musician, and has a wonderful sense of um, in his playing of of um, sort of giving. 
you know, as, as well as sort of diving in and taking advantage of, of whatever musical environment is present, he has this ability to support that is truly on the highest level. So, you know, when I hear Peter, I, he, it's interesting, you know, when I hear players that, that um, come from the perspective that Peter does, and, I, and, and in a way I think it's kind of rare um, in this world, of, of virtuosos um, because you can be a virtuoso and, and, and somehow not touch on deeper things. Um, but Peter does, and he's a virtuoso too, in my, in my, from my perspective. And um, when I hear Peter, I'm totally captivated by what he does. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't light up those base parts of myself that might be envious Yet I can hear a virtuoso that's sort of empty and become envious. It's it's interesting how that works, how it lights <laughs> up certain things, you know. Um, and I think it's because he's he's when you talk about that pie graph, you know, I've used that in the past to to, to describe uh, a musician that I feel is is sort of tapping into the deepest aspects of their ability, um, in that they're able to give up the notion that. They're, um, they are doing something. They are initiating something. Um, instead of letting the moment sort of initiate something that comes from inside. Um, and Peter has that. So, you know, when, when, I, when I see a, an artist that has that perspective, for me, it just it transports me and it brings me into that experience and into that, that level of consciousness. I came across a quote which always, it, it kind of informed, you know, my life to a degree. And it was a quote from Art Blakey, who, you know, was one of the great players. And Art Blakey once said, uh, talent is the speed with which you learn something. Which I always really, it really spoke to me that, you know, because it emphasizes the work. And, but it doesn't mean that talent is some magical gift that somebody has touched. Yeah. Talent. You know, it, it, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I feel like I'm a slow learner. So when when I'm learning a new piece of music, I take it very slowly. I meticulously finger everything. In fact, I just finished uh, debuting all this music by this pianist that I mentioned earlier, Atmaru Ruiz. And the music was incredibly challenging. I, I really had not encountered music that, that was this challenging since, um, since grappling with the music of Billy Childs. Um, and uh, so there was a, 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 you know, I had about a month. And, and I was in New Zealand at the time that I was... Um, uh, beginning to learn this music, and the first the first process was basically where to locate it on the guitar, because mm -hmm. it, it was real rangy. So it went from the low range to the high range, and and um, so there was this real meticulous process of of trying to absorb the music. And in fact, we had our first performance um, about a little less than a week ago. I don't feel like I really got there. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't quite ready. It, it, there wasn't enough time for the music to germinate. So um, 
there is definitely this aspect for me of of and I don't now I, do, I I used to think of this as a disadvantage, but now I'm seeing it as as maybe uh, something that's that is not so. Um, it's not so unfortunate that, that, that I'm a slow learner. In, in a way, it's caused me to sort of really have to um, look into what's beneath the surface, you know, and, and to try to find out what are the deeper aspects of whatever stum- stumbling blocks that I'm dealing with. And, and you know, it's interesting. Uh, I think most of the stuff has to do with um, um, looking into the expressive um, aspects of the music when I find how I want it to sound how how I would sing it um, it, it it sort of in, unlocks itself the technical aspect of it unlocks itself if I can connect with the sound and um, find some expressive quality ultimately after I've done all the meticulous work of fingering things and I think the fingerings come about as a result of trying to unlock that expressive musical um, germ of the music. When I find that, the technique starts to disappear, the, mechanic, the mechanical part, the me- mechanistic part. Um, so, just to uh, close up, because I, I know you've been incredibly generous with your time, and I greatly appreciate that. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about you know your latest recording, which is Conversations, which is a duo with a piano pianist. Uh, which is very much in, in, you know, there's a certain tradition, which I guess was was a tradition that was accidentally born by Jim Hall and Bill Evans. Uh, it was it Undercurrents was the record? That's right, yes. Yeah. Um, which I learned many years later uh, was actually supposed to be a regular record date with a bass player and a drummer who just, for some reason or other, never turned up. Really? That's what I was. That's what I told, and ah. so they just went ahead and, and started to play. And in fact, one of the signature tracks from that, which is "My Funny Valentine," uh, was apparently uh, a sound check. No kidding. That those are the stories <laughs> that I've heard. Because you know, there's no guarantee they're actually true. Well, you know, with with it makes a certain absolutely. sense. Absolutely, <laughs> with players like Jim Hall and Bill Evans. I mean, how can you miss? You know, we're talking about. You know, when when you when we're talking about earlier, we were talking about strong personalities. Um, I guess you could say both of them have strong personalities, but they don't exert themselves in the fabric of the music. In other words, they're open to wherever the music leads them. They're not; they don't have an agenda going into it. And you really get a sense of that. And uh, the pianist that I recorded with, David Reutstein. Um, has that quality of sort of being able to um, let the music sort of blossom in whichever in whatever direction it wants to go. He has that in 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 spades. Um, he's a he's the he, first of all he's 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 brilliant harmonically. He's beautiful touch, great sound. He's the the head of the program at Cal Arts where I teach. And, um, but more than that, he, 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 he really truly plays from each musical moment that, that becomes his emphasis. He's not, he's not an agenda based player. Um, he's, he's not interested in playing a lot of notes. 
um, he's he's really coming from the perspective of of trying to um, find how to make the music bloom from moment to moment. And um, David and I have presented um, a duo class, a class on duo playing, um, since I was first at CalArts. And so throughout the years, we logged all these hours, um, coming up with uh, different material from year to year to perform for the students and to talk about the the uh, aesthetic of playing in a duo format, which we're both attracted to. Um, and I think I'm attracted to it because it affords you the opportunity to have a direct conversation with another person. And, and you know, uh, I use this analogy a lot. You know, if you're at a party and you're talking with four or five um, different people, which is essentially a quartet or a quintet, <laughs> um, <laughs> It's difficult. It's more difficult to scratch beneath the surface and and really get to some some substantive stuff. And in a duo format, um, it's sort of immediate. You know, there's this flow of of, of throwing out an idea and getting an immediate response um, that is attractive uh, to me. Um, so basically, this CD came out of that um, that. Uh, all those years that we had logged in, 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 in putting together these classes. And uh, so we wanted to play a few standards. There are a few standards on the, on the project, but also reflect some of the original material that we've written um, and performed in the past. So that's what this CD represents, a collection of both those things. Do you have any favorite tracks or tracks that you're particularly interested in? From the, I mean, obviously, the whole record is something that you guys have. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, Peter, um, my favorite track on the, on the on the recording involves no improvisation, and it's <laughs> <laughs> it's the um, the the tune by Jobim called Louisa, and and it's mm -hmm. written in three. I think it's one of two tunes that he wrote. That's that's in three four, and some people might listen to this track and think it's a, a bit sappy. You know, it sounds maybe a little like. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Jobim wrote this tune for a telenovela, which is a soap opera in oh, really? uh, Brazil, and it kind of sounds like soap opera music, but through the prism of somebody with the kind of melodic and harmonic sophistication that that uh, Jobim possesses. Are possessed, and um, that's my favorite track, Louisa. Um, it's a it's a very straightforward um, statement of the melody once through the tune, um, and there's something about the sound and the way that David and I are playing together um, that is really attractive to me. Anyway, listen, Larry, thank you so much for taking the time to to do this. Uh, I truly appreciate it. My pleasure, Peter. It's always great talking with you. I, I love your your perspective, and um, you're a great listener, and you're very insightful in terms of, of where you go with a conversation. Oh, shucks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
All right, that's all for our show today. I want to thank again Peter and Larry for their great conversation. Uh, and I know I got a lot out of it. And if you got something out of it too, we'd love to hear from you. Leave a comment for us in the comment section below if you're on the website. And remember, Larry Kuntz's album Conversations is available on iTunes and Amazon. Be sure to check that out. And if you got some value out of today's show, consider adding value back. If you're on the website, you can click the support button to leave us a one-time monthly or annual donation. We'd greatly appreciate your support. Next week, we're going to be coming out with the big episode 20 of the LGS podcast. We're looking forward to seeing you back then. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.